Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching from our lead pastor, Adam Scott. Amen. Hey, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Hey, how many of you grew up singing hymns? Anybody? Yeah, so did I, and I love it when we can incorporate them into the message because this is going to tie in perfectly with where we are going today. Hey, before we dive in, I do want to let you know that we're starting something next week um, that will impact you if you have a teenager, know a teenager, or sit in this section right here, okay? We are uh, inviting all of our teenagers in both services, don't have to do this, sit with your parents if you want to, uh, but we're inviting all of our teenagers to sit together right here in this section. So you guys... It's a good thing. You may get displaced just a little bit as they invite their friends, but it's going to allow us to communicate with them directly in the service so that they can find the application in this message as well, and they can go live it each and every day. So please let people know that we're going to be doing that. You can clap. There's going to be a bunch of teenagers. It's going to be exciting. My last church, we did this, and we had a section right up here in the front. I had a couple people that came to me, and they said, hey, do you think we can move the teens to the balcony? Okay, that's what they wanted to do. And I said, over my dead body, are we moving the teens to the balcony? They're front and center because they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today, okay? And we want them to be front and center, learning how to embrace God's word and live it out. So that is exciting. Hey, we also want to let you know, student ministry kicks off here in uh, like just two weeks, I think, um, and we're getting ready for that. We're excited about that. We're looking for people who will volunteer with teenagers, okay? Our church has historically had a little bit of a problem. Historically, our church has utilized college students and only college students to run our student ministry. College students are an incredible asset to student ministry, but they also need the support of adults like you and me to step over there and provide some stability and help and encouragement. One of the best leaders I ever had in student ministry was an 83-year-old man. He was incredible. He taught them how to paint fire hydrants, all this stuff that you're like, where did you learn to do that? But he cared about them deeply. Listen, if you're a young Christian, an old Christian, a single Christian, a married Christian, it doesn't matter. If you have any inkling that you might want to serve with our students over the next few months, um, come talk to me after the service. I'll be right up here in the front. We will get you connected so that you can make a difference in their life moving forward. Sound good? All right, week three of a series that we're calling Bizarre Bible Stories and Why They Matter. Throughout this month, we're talking about Bible stories that you have probably never heard talked about in church before. But most importantly, we're taking truth from those stories, we're applying it to our lives, and we're allowing it to, it to impact us in a powerful way. Well, today's story comes right out of Isaiah chapter 20, and this one just might be my favorite story yet. But listen, before we get there, I, I want to ask you this question. Have, have you ever been let down by something before? Anybody? Y'all are like, what, like today? Okay. Like, it, it's, it's true. We're always let down by something, right? Like, that's just part of life. There's going to be disappointments in life. Uh, one, of, one of the great orators and thinkers of our day, um, Sir Luke Combs, this is what he says in one of his songs. I've had a large mouth bass bust my line, a couple of beautiful girls tell me goodbye, trucks break down, dogs run off, politicians lie, been fired by the boss. Is that relatable or what? 
And look, the truth is, it wouldn't take much to add to this list either, would it? I wrote down a few other things that we've had happen. We've had alarms that didn't go off. We've had batteries that didn't last. We've had meals that didn't stay down. We've had passwords that didn't protect us. We've had cars that didn't get us home. We've had children that didn't listen. We've had trips that didn't happen. We've had teams that didn't win. And get this, we have had toilets that didn't flush. Look at your neighbor and say, life is hard. Life is hard. Listen, every moment of every day has the potential to write a country song of its own. I saw a video the other day and it was a guy, he was doing a trust fall. You know what that is, right? Like you line up and you just kind of fall back into the arms of a person or multiple people that have agreed to catch you. Like your safety is in their hands. The problem was they counted him down and he fell forward, okay? Like he fell in the wrong direction and there was nobody there to catch him and his face met the pavement. Let me tell you something, disappointment is part of life. But in order to avoid disaster, we've gotta make sure that our ultimate hope and our ultimate trust is pointed in the right direction. That's what today's story is all about. Let's read it together, starting in verse one of Isaiah chapter 20. This is what it says. And that the year that the supreme commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it. Okay, pause right there. The sentence goes on. We're gonna talk about the rest of it. But this seemingly insignificant introduction actually sets the stage for everything else that's gonna happen in this story and in this passage. You see, based on this verse alone, uh, the events of the story, we can uncover when they were written. We can, we can uncover historical context about what was going on during the time period. You see, because of this verse, we know that this story happened around 712 B.C., and what was happening was this nation of Assyria was coming in and it was, it was capturing all the land surrounding Judah. Judah was God's people. Like This is who Isaiah is, is writing to. But, but he says Assyria is, is taking over. They're growing, they're expanding, they're conquering, and they're surrounding Judah completely. Well, all of a sudden, as Ashdod falls, like we just learned right here, Judah is getting nervous. They're getting worried because there's this chokehold that's being applied to them by this dominant superpower. Listen, we can all relate to that feeling, right? Maybe not in terms of war and, and conquering nations, but we've all been through periods of time where we feel like we're surrounded by problems, right? We're surrounded by things that are ganging up on us on all sides. There's disappointments, there's heavy burdens, and because of that, we don't know where to turn for help. That's what Judah is facing. And so they're deciding in this moment where they're gonna turn for help. And as we're gonna see in a couple verses, rather than turning to God and saying, God, I need your help, I need your presence, I need your power in my life, they were tempted to turn to their southern border, to Egypt and to the land of Cush and make a treaty and find safety and security with them. Let's keep reading what it says in verse two. It says, at that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Okay, this is an awkward technique for a preacher to employ, okay? This is why I titled the message, The Naked Preacher, okay? 
You may not know this, but we actually have a dress code for anybody who gets up on this stage, okay? We have certain things that we require of people. You can't have writing on your shirt because it's distracting, and, and you gotta wear pants, and you gotta, can't have flip-flops, you can't wear a hat, and all these different things. Basically, what I'm saying is Isaiah would not be invited to preach at our church, stripped in the way he was preaching in that day. I'm just saying, I wore a different pair of shoes two weeks ago, and you people went crazy. I had text messages all afternoon, okay? Isaiah's tactic of preaching in the nude would have absolutely captured your attention. But let's unpack what's really happening here. You see, Isaiah is a preacher, but more specifically, he's a prophet. Okay, that means that it's his job to carry God's message to God's people. But unfortunately, this message often included judgment and, and destruction, which is why Isaiah referred to these messages that he was called to deliver as, as burdens, but this particular burden takes a weird turn. You see, God tells him to remove his shoes and his clothes, and he did that proclaiming God's word in that way for three long years. Listen, before we go crazy, let's talk about what he was actually wearing. Okay, at the beginning of the story, Isaiah is wearing sackcloth. In the Bible, sackcloth represents mourning, okay? What he was doing was he was mourning the fact that nobody was listening to his message. I do that on Sunday afternoons every once in a while. I put on sackcloth and I cry about it. No, he was mourning because he says, God has given me this responsibility and I'm telling people what they ought to do. I'm telling people how much God loves them and what he wants for them, but they're resisting and, and they're turning away from him. They're, they're not listening to what I have to say. He's mourning their decision. But God says it's time to take off the sackcloth. It's time to be done with mourning. It's time for a bold, albeit uncomfortable, object lesson for God's people. Now, although Isaiah would have been considered naked during that time period because of what he was wearing compared to what other people were wearing or what he was wearing because of, compared to what he had worn in the past, he's, he's not actually without all clothes. He would have actually been wearing like a simple inner garment, like, like underwear or a nightshirt. He was, he was stripped down to what the most poor and destitute people would wear in public. Nobody else would possibly do that, but those people would. See, he didn't actually expose himself in a vulgar way, but he did do something that would damage his reputation. He did do something that would cause people to look at him with judgment and contempt. People would call him mad and, and crazy and foolish, and on top of that, there were health concerns to wearing such bare and minimal clothing for three long years. This would have captured everybody's attention, but the goal was not just shock and awe. You see, God was using this lesson to explain something that was gonna happen in the future. Look at what it says in verses three through four. It says, then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Okay, this explains it. Isaiah's object lesson was pointing to the fate, not of God's people, but of the people that God's people wanted to align themselves with. The people of Egypt and the people of Cush. He says that these people would eventually be carried off. These people would be attacked by Assyria and they would be carried off in this way. 
You see, the Assyrians were notorious for leading their captives away with ropes tied to rings in their nose. This was a vicious and dominant empire. What he says right here is that these people are going to be carried off in that way, stripped and barefoot with their buttocks exposed. In other words, they would be completely naked. Isaiah was walking around with some sense of decency, but for the Egyptians and the people of Cush, it was going to be far, far worse. Now, why should they care what happens to Egypt and Cush? Well, he explains that in the next couple verses as we finish out the story. He says, those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be dismayed and put to shame. In that day, the people who live on this coast will say, see what has happened to those we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? See, don't miss this. The warning is not that the people of Judah, God's people, will necessarily be humiliated and carried off. The message is that the people they choose to trust with their safety would ultimately let them down. Listen, Judah is backed into a corner. Judah is between two major superpowers, Assyria and Egypt, and they can't trust either one. There was no escape outside of God's protection. Isaiah's message is designed to help God's people recognize that their only option is to turn to God for salvation. He is their only hope. He is the only one that can deliver them from the problems that surround them on all sides. Let me tell you something. That message is just as true today as it was when Isaiah wrote it. This is our sermon in a sentence. This is what we're going to take away from this. The direction of our hope determines the quality of our life. The direction of our hope determines the quality of our life. Our destiny, our fate, our very lives are determined by what we choose to place our hope and trust in. If we place all our eggs in the basket of anything other than God, those things will absolutely, guaranteed 100% of the time, find a way to disappoint us. If we trust in anything other than God, we will be devastated, we will be broken, we will be humiliated, and we will be let down. But if we put our hope and our trust in God, we will find that he is the only one who is capable and strong enough to protect us, to help us withstand all the things that threaten us. This reminds me of a conversation I had with Kevin Weldon when he was here a few weeks ago. We were talking about what led him to abandon his entire life and and move across the world as a missionary to Nepal. And he told me, he said, I resisted it for a long time. He said, "I, I struggled because I didn't want to be obedient in this area. He said, but ultimately, he said, I was, I was placing my hope and my trust in all these worldly things, success and money and And he said, God knew that if he took all those things away from me, I would just fight that much harder to get them back. He said, so instead, God gave me everything I could ever want. And in the midst of receiving everything I ever wanted, every single one of those things found a way to disappoint me and leave me empty until I was obedient to Jesus. Even in abundance, he was disappointed because nothing this world had to offer could compete with what God had to offer. Listen, that's why Psalm 118.8 says this. It says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. 
Listen, you and I, we've got to evaluate for ourselves, just as the people of Judah did, whether our hope is completely and entirely pointed in the direction of God or whether we've chosen to take refuge in man-made things that are ultimately going to let us down. Anybody place their hope in Egypt this week? Nobody, right? Of course not. That would be crazy. Our Egypt is not a foreign nation. Our Egypt is anything and everything that makes us feel like we don't need God. Our Egypt is anything and everything that claims the power to provide for us what the Bible says only God can provide. I sat down this week and I made a list of a few things that I think that that we as, as Christians, we even as a church place our hope in instead of God. This is not an exhaustive list. You wanna get the most out of this story, you're gonna have to go home and do a little homework and figure out what it is that you place your hope and trust in. But there are a few things that I think we gotta call out. We gotta put them in their place so that we can restore Jesus to his proper place. Here's the first one, government. I'm gonna step on toes today. I'm just gonna let you know, okay? Government, this one ramps up again every two to four years, but let me tell you something. There is a perpetual undercurrent in Christian culture of this at all times. With every political ad, with every Facebook post, with every movie we see, we are told that our political identity is the only one that can save us. In other words, too many times, God's people, Christians like you and me, we come to believe that our Savior wears a red or blue tie instead of a crown of thorns. Listen, it matters less, far less, who sits in Washington than it does who sits on the throne of our hearts. Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Let's get real practical about what that means. If five minutes on our Facebook page reveals our political affiliation, but not our identity in Jesus, then we have given to Caesar what belongs to God. If we disrupt unity in the church by severing relationships based on our political leanings, we have given to Caesar what belongs to God. If our hope lives and dies with the results on election night, we have given to Caesar what belongs to God. Listen, God calls us to pay taxes. The Bible calls us to pray for our political representatives and to honor them for their service. Many political leaders are serving sacrificially in that position because that's what God has called them to do. They are not the enemy. But it's important that we remember that only God holds the key to an unshakable hope. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. They serve he reigns. Any other conclusion? God's message through Isaiah declares we're going to be carried off with our buttocks exposed and nobody wants that. So give to God what belongs to God. Here's our second Egypt. The second thing that we lean into when we think that it can provide something that God cannot and that's materialism. We often think that if we accumulate enough stuff, if we stockpile enough cash then we can weather any storm without the inconvenience of learning to rely on God. Listen, Jesus teaches us to to pray these words, give us this day our daily bread. And, And sometimes I think that we may miss out on the peace that comes from God because you and I have never had to pray that prayer. 
See, we have enough money in the bank account to cover our next 100 meals. McDonald's is cheap. And because of that, we've never had to ask God, will you just give me today what I need today? And there's peace that comes from doing that. Listen, being wise and careful with money is not wrong. Actually, that's faithfulness. That's something God calls us to do. But thinking that money can solve all of our problems will cost us everything. I don't know how many of you like Oreos. I like Oreos, but I detest single stuffed Oreos. I didn't detest single stuffed Oreos till I had double stuffed Oreos, but once I compared the two, I just think they should discontinue the single stuffed stuff. So I, I want to get rid of those, and so I've got double stuff. Well, the other day I happened to find this package, and it was, it was mega stuffed Oreos. Anybody try those? I'm telling y'all, the stuffing was this tall. I mean, it's a little bitty cookie, but it had all this stuffing in it. And I had all the anticipation in the world. This was going to be the key to happiness. Like, this was, this was going to satisfy me and make life complete. But I want you to know, for some crazy reason, they were absolutely disgusting. <laughs> it caused me to step back and say, how can more not be better it wasn't. It overpromised and it underdelivered. Listen, our money, our stuff, our nest egg, our safety net, it will do the same thing. It will overpromise and underdeliver. Only God has the power to deliver on the promise of protection and peace. He reigns in plenty just as he does in scarcity. Hebrews 13:5 says it this way. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, the security that comes from money is temporary, but the security that comes from God is everlasting. It is never changing. It is always there. Money and affluence, they will come and go, but God will never leave us and God will never forsake us. Our job is to manage money but to trust God. If we confuse the two, we're gonna miss out completely. Last but not least, there's one more thing that I think we place our hope and trust in, and this is gonna sound confusing, and it's probably gonna step on your toes a little bit, okay, but a lot of times what we do is we lean into religion to save us instead of a relationship with Jesus. Believe it or not, church and spiritual conviction and morality and the pursuit of perfection can keep us from placing our hope and trust in Jesus. If it's left unchecked, if our experience with religion is disconnected from Jesus Christ, it can become our Egypt. Listen, religion can either be the package through which we experience God's love or the rules we follow to try and earn it for ourselves. One leads to total dependency on him. One tries to eliminate the need for him altogether. One takes us to Jesus and the other distracts us from Jesus. Listen, we've all had that experience of giving a kid a gift and, and, and they wanted the gift, but when they got the gift, they were more interested in the package that it came in than the gift itself, right? I just had to sneak a box out of my house because my kids had been playing with it for two months and I was tired of it sitting in my living room. Okay, they were enamored with this box. They had long since forgotten what came in it. They wanted the packaging instead of the gift. Listen, we've got to be careful that we don't do the same thing that we don't become so fascinated with the package of religion that we forget about the gift of Jesus. Here's what that means practically. It means that when we come into this place, we love the music, right? Music was incredible today. Y'all, I'm telling you, I stand in one place and I start worshiping and I end up three seats over and I don't even know how I got there, okay? Our worship is good. I needed every single one of those songs today. 
But the, God, the job of those songs is not to make us feel good. The job of those songs is to help us experience the living God. That's what it's all about. One says religion. We're coming here to sing songs. One says relationship because it drives us closer to him. What about the rules of Christianity? There's a bunch of them. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of things that God expects of us. And I try to follow the rules as best I can. But get this, I'm not following the rules for the sake of checking the box. I'm following the rules because I believe that God has a plan for my life and I want to experience it to the fullest. One is religion. The other is a relationship with Jesus. I'm in community. You're going to hear us talk about it all the time. We're about to kick off a whole month of launching more community groups. We want you in community. You can't do church without community. But let me tell you something. I'm not in community for community's sake. I'm in community because it's through community that God helps me become better. He allows me to experience all that he has in store for me. Listen, Satan is tricky, and he's good at twisting what God created for good into another source of misplaced trust. But look at what it says in Titus 3.5. It says, he saved us. God saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Listen, if we've placed our hope and trust in Jesus, we are already loved We are already saved and we are already accepted. We don't have to earn anything. We just have to lean into the relationship that comes from Jesus Christ. Listen, what is your Egypt? And what would it look like if you traded that in for a deeper and more intimate trust in Jesus Christ? Sermon in a sentence, one more time. The direction of our hope determines the quality of our life. Are you hoping in Jesus completely? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many times we find things that are man-made to put our hope and trust in. God, every commercial, every conversation, every Facebook ad, God, it all, it all leads us to believe that there's something else that can provide what the Bible says only you can provide. And God, it's so easy for us to take our minds off of you and place our minds on those things, but but God, I pray that you empower us as a community of believers to say, no, I'm, I'm not looking to the left or to the right. I'm, I'm not looking at the screen. I'm not looking at the promises of this world. I am looking to what your word proclaims, and that's the fact that trust and hope in you is the only thing that can deliver. God, I pray that when the world looks at us, they would see something different. I pray that they would see an ad on TV or on Facebook, but God, then they would look at the Christians in their life. They would look at the church and they would say, but, but why, if that thing can give me hope, if that thing can give me peace, if that thing can provide protection, do I see the Christians acting completely different? God, I pray that we would live differently so that people would recognize that you are ultimately the one who deserves all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our honor, our everything pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, in life, a lot of times what happens is we get battered around. We get beat up. We get knocked from the left to the right and all over the place. There's problems that come and it's just going to do that. But we're going to be a people that leans into the hope of Jesus Christ that never changes. And when we lean into him, the world can throw whatever it wants to at us because we're going to stand firm in knowing who he is and what he can provide. And we're going to live differently as a result. Listen, a ship that's anchored, it can be battered around, but it's not going anywhere because it's anchored to something. We're gonna anchor ourselves to the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus today. 
Maybe you say, my life has been a constant battering around this and that. I'm, I'm constantly knocked off course. I'm constantly pulled in this direction and that direction. Maybe today's the day that you need to decide. I'm gonna experience what real hope feels like by leaning into a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time. We're gonna have prayer partners at all four corners of the room. They're gonna flip on a little light and they would love to talk to you about that or pray with you about anything if you've got something going on in your life. We've also got the altars that are open right here. If you wanna respond and just say, Jesus, I need the hope that comes from you, it's open, we'd encourage you to respond. But as we sing, focus your eyes on Jesus. Y'all stand up. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.